Job 32. We find at this point in time in Job, we have the three friends have gone silent. Job has given his final affidavit of his character and really has sort of left off and said things by insinuation that God not as he know he was for sure righteous, but didn't you know as God is righteous as he anyway, Job got over overboard, past the line of uh, good writing, etc., past the line of a proper attitude. And Eli, who comes on the scene, he has six chapters. It is as long as I think it was twelve Old Testament books. Something similar to that. It's longer than a lot of books. And so he has a lot to say. It is not just as some, I think, would have us believe or want to say. He's simply uh, blowing a lot of hot air. I think God would not give us so much material if it was worthless or something just repetitive of the former three friends or three former friends or maybe a little bit on the outs right now. The three friends that get rebuked in chapter 42. So we have there, uh, this is uh, Mr. Elihu who's going to start speaking. And he is going to uh, really call Job to think carefully. And let's just start with that. And we're looking at 32, fine in verse 1. So these three friends ceased to enter Job because he was righteous in his own eyes. Then was kindled the wrath of Elihu, the son of Berachel, the Buzzite of the hindred of Ram, against Job in his wrath. Or was his wrath kindled that because he justified himself rather than God? And that is why really he gets started because Job has justified himself and Elihu standing up for God's justice, if you would. Also against the three friends was his wrath kindled in three because he had found no answer. Yet they had condemned Job. Now Elihu had waited till Job had spoken because they were elder than he. When Elihu saw that there was no answer in the mouth of these three men, then his wrath was kindled. And so that was sort of like the introduction, the narrator giving us the background of Elihu. And then starting in verse 6, And Elihu, the son of Berchel, the Buzzai, answered and said, I am young, and, and you are very old. Wherefore I was afraid, and durst not show my, uh, mine opinion. Show you mine opinion. I said, Days should speak, and multitudes of years should teach wisdom. But there is a spirit in man, and the inspiration of the Almighty giveth them understanding. Great men are not always wise, neither do the aged understand judgment. Therefore I said, hearken to me. I also will show mine opinion. Behold, I waited for your words. I gave ear to your reasons whilst you searched out what to say. Yes, yea, I attended unto you. And behold, there was none of you that convinced Job or that answered his words. Lest you should say, we have found out wisdom. God thrusteth him down, not man. Now he hath not directed his words against me, neither will I answer him with your speeches. They were amazed, they answered no more. They left off speaking, the three friends. When I had waited, for they spake not, but stood still and answered no more. I said, I will answer also my part. I will also show mine opinion, for I am full of matter. The spirit within me constraineth me. Behold, my belly is as wine which hath not vent. It is ready to burst like new wine bottles. I will speak that I may be refreshed. I will open my lips and answer. Let me not, I pray you, accept any man's person, neither let me give flattering titles unto man, for I know not to give flattering titles in so doing. My maker would take soon take me away. Wherefore, Job, I pray thee, hear my speeches and hearken to all my words. We'll stop right there for the moment. Heavenly Father, directing my thoughts and deeds today. Lord, help me to think clearly. I pray that your word would be uh, shared uh, concisely, correctly. As we look at Elihu and Job and the interaction, may we learn, may we not unjustly condemn God or give uh, or any kind of disparaging attitude toward God. May we always show him to be 
you to be the righteous God that you are. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Sometimes we are careful maybe to justify ourselves. We sometimes want to show ourselves to be doing the right thing at times. Perhaps uh, we might even cast God in a negative light. I trust we never do that. I trust we are always showing God for who he is and the righteous one, the loving God, the kind God, the God whom we love to serve. We should never, I don't think there should be a whiff of any kind of wrongness toward God. We are his children. We should be exalting him. He's our savior. Uh, he is Jesus. He, he's, he's, it's all about him and not about us. And so this is his first speech. If you want to give it a little title, the message title is Elihu's argument, but speech one is about God is the sovereign. The first 20, 32, and 33, God is the sovereign. We say four things. First of all, we see the introduction, which is apology and application. The introduction, and he opens up with an apology, if you would explain why he's, he's butting in at this point. It's like when you're, talking with, you're waiting your turn to talk to someone, and you, don't want to, you want to wait till they're done. Then you step in, up and talk. He's been waiting for quite some time. Evidently, he has heard most of, if not all of. We're just not sure where Elihu comes from, other than his mother. We understand that, but we don't know where, exactly why he's been there. And he's not just another of the three. He, God uses him, and th- well, he says parallels what God's going to say in 38 going forward, 38, 39, 40, 41. It's a parallel to that. So it's not just another bunch of hot air. Now, there are those that would cast him that way. We'll see a couple comments in a minute. But there's a good reason that there's this protracted formality. He, he clearly, back, is, back in chapter 32, 6 and 7, he clearly is giving deference. Uh, we find in days and 7, I said, days should speak and multitude of years should teach wisdom. So he, he's showing deference to those that are older than he is. What compels him to speak is, is not pride, but persuasion is, is the spirit of God that imparts insight and understanding. So it's not, it is not like he's trying to, and I, I've read different comments, how he's just trying to build up himself. I don't think that, I don't see that because the narrator has, well, he's in verse 2, because he justified himself rather than God. That's why he was coming out against Job. That's why he got angry. Because Job was justifying himself. Now, I will have to say, if there's anyone on earth who ever had a reason to do something wrong, it was Job. He was, he was my goodness, he, was a, he had been through so much. A faith that cannot be tested cannot be trusted. So I was, I was talking with someone today at mealtime, and that's basically what, you know, okay, now we've got to see if you're going to continue to trust me during the difficult times. And so he, he, he this is, Job has shown himself to be pretty much stellar in most things, except he gets a little bit carried away with that. Verse 8, but there is a spirit of man, an inspiration of the Almighty, giveth them understanding. Great men are not always wise, neither do the aged understand judgment. A Christian man who grows in the Lord is, I think, wiser and wiser as they get older. But a person who doesn't know Christ as Savior, doesn't, the age has, I tell you what, I see some older men really make some, some really uh, wrong choices. There's people in our country that have made some really, I think, wrong choices, and their older leadership that we don't even know them, we'll never even meet them, but they've chosen to fund or go with things that just are clearly anti-God. And so... We, we, it, the age does not guarantee you're going to make the right decisions all the time. Elihu offers to fill the role that Job is re- looking for an arbiter. And look, we starting in verse 10. We find that he offers to do that role, 32 verse 10. Therefore said I unto, uh, therefore I said, hearken to me. 
I also will show mine opinion. Behold, I waited for your words. I, I, I gave ear to your reasons whilst you searched out what to say. Yea, I attended unto you, and behold, there was none of you that convinced Job or that answered his words. Three, five. If thou canst answer me, set thy words in order before me. Stand up. Behold, I am according to thy wish in God's stead. I also am formed out of the clay. Behold, my terror shall not make thee afraid, neither shall my hand be heavy upon thee. He's going to become the arbitrary back in 13, or excuse me, 1632, I think it was. Back in uh, 1621, he asked for someone. If you want to turn back for just a moment, 1621, it says for us here, Oh, that one might plead for a man with God as a man pleadeth for his neighbor. Oh, that I had someone who would stand in my stead and be my advocate, if you would, my arbiter in, in, in case with, and present my case to God. Back over to 32 then again. Now, his three friends had failed to make their case. They had neglected Job's argument and started attacking Job because their, their mindset is steady. You know, Job has sinned. Job needs to repent. Job has sinned. Job needs, and that was their mindset the whole time because God only punishes evil. They needed to grow in their understanding of who God is. Remember, that's the whole book of Job. If you're just coming in on the book of Job is about God. But how God is this wonderful, awesome God, and, and we just know so little about him that you simply can't put him in a box. Can you imagine worshiping an idol and this is my God? Or, or, or this is or no, we worship the one true living God. That's who we worship. And he's he cannot be pictured with a, a idol or a picture or anything. He's can you imagine making a representation of God? You can't do it. We've only seen Jesus Christ, God, because he willingly humbled himself and took the form of... Otherwise, we have never seen God the Father. We've never seen God the Spirit. We may never ever see them. He may give us... for God the Father may give us sight to see. I don't know. We'll see Jesus. Perhaps we'll have spiritual sight to see them. But our God, the God we serve is, is infinite. He is beyond our understanding. So despite the overlap, he shares the basic theology now with the three friends. He is not going to be like the three friends. Thank goodness for that, because we had enough of the three friends in the first ensuing chapters. Let me, I pray not, verse 21, let me not, I pray you, accept any man's person, and neither let me give flattering titles unto men. He wants to be a straight shooter. So now, Elihu now turns his attention from his three friends to Job, and it's clearly indicated in verse 31, 33, verse 1, Wherefore, Job, I pray thee, hear my speeches, hearken to all my words. The three friends are covered in 32. Now he turns to Job. A negative, one of the negative samplings I have read regarding Elihu at this point is, despite all the good that might be said of Elihu, the fact remains that he's still an astonishingly pompous little windbag. He takes the entire first chapter, for example, plus portions of the second simply to clear his throat and announce that he has something to say. I think God wants to say more than just that. I think there's more to it than an egotistical, I'm this, and I think there's a reason he comes on the scene here, and there's a reason God records all this for us. 
Is God not the author of all Scripture? Isn't, isn't all Scripture profitable? Now, some is more profitable. I will tell you that the New Testament typically is more profitable than a genealogy in the Old Testament. If you, if you read your Bible through, you get to Ezra. Oh, here it comes. You get to Second Chronicles. Well, here they come. Oh, these names. Like I was doing Bible study this past week, and we were in chapter 5, or 4 and 5 of Genesis, and they give, start listing all those long names. Mahalahel begat uh, Jared and begat Methuselah. And I said, how about if I read those? Because... In our senior, they each take turns reading two verses. So they all go around, take two verses, take two verses. And I told one lady, I said, okay, Kathy's the next two. And the person that just had read started reading the next two, too. I said, okay, how about Joyce? You read those two. There we go. So they're, but they, they just take turns. But when they got to those big words, I said, how about if I just read those few verses here? Because those are some big words to read. And so I, 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 I like that, the interaction. Of, I have one more week of Bible study. And then uh, you pray with me because I found out since I've been teaching, I'm going to be very transparent, that really the Bible teacher is typically a volunteer position. So someone who is paid by our constituency or paid for what I do to get paid for typically does not teach Bible classes. So I'm trying to work around. I'm trying to, you pray about, I want, uh, that doesn't make my boss nervous because she doesn't want to find out, well, he's doing something he shouldn't be doing on company time. Perhaps I can take my lunch hour and do it. I don't know, but the Lord knows. And so you, you pray with me. Maybe an equitable solution can be found, because that's my favorite thing to do I've ever found at the job. I love it. Anyway, there we go. Back on, te- back on point there. So we find in that I think I don't want to throw, I know, throw Elihu under the bus and say he's all wind and no substance. I think there's a lot God has to teach us here. He desires in 31, and 32, 21, and 22 to not be swayed by... He wants to speak clearly. All of it, if we had some frank, fair, and truthful teaching in America today, that's what we, we just return to what is true. If we would just return to what's common sense and, re, and what's going to work, what does not work, what is a pipe dream, what is not, what people need is Jesus, are, are the principles of his word. And we need to eat, and we need to be able to survive, and, and we, we us gradually work into something, but we just can't all of a sudden shift gears because someone wants this or that or the other. I think it's going to come down, our, our priorities are going to be, as we get different places, we're going to be changing our priorities. What really, I need to eat and drink, we need to have clean water, we need to have food, etc. For I know, verse 22, for I know not to give flattering titles. In so doing, my maker would soon take me away. Guzik said, again, negative vibes. Uh, Elihu is determined to flatter no man except himself. In this obviously self-flattering introduction to the speech, Elihu was clearly presenting himself as smarter, wiser, and having more understanding than any of the four other men. Elihu seemed painfully unaware of how he sounded and looked. I, I see, the thing is, we let the Bible speak for itself. The, the Bible, and so I, if you go into the text and say, Elihu is not much, I don't even want to read these hardly because he is so pompous and windbaggy, if that's a word. Wind, a bag, a wind, a bag, wind, there's a Wendy Bagwell. Wasn't that a singer, Wendy Bagwell? Yes. Uh, anyway, he's, he, I don't say Wendy was Wendy, I don't know. But anyway, if you read that, or I don't believe the Bible's true, and you read these things, but if you read it, if you go in saying, God has something for me here. But God has something, there's something I can learn. And all the characters, you say, well, Pastor, why did they include all these characters? And some of their lives were not the most exemplary at times. What about you and me? If we were in the Bible, 
What part of your life do you want to be in the Scripture for everybody to read for eternity? Zero. Zero. Perhaps today I got saved down in Cyrusville. Perhaps that would be, and so-and-so got saved. And, and then leave the rest of it off. So we, 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 in our Christian circles, perhaps you're not, but we're so quick to throw stones and heap on with somebody else. We're not doing exactly like we're doing. He who slings the most ground, mud loses the most ground. He who slings the most mud loses the most ground. We find that he, his words, he says he wanted to be sincere. Verse 3, 33, 3. My words shall be of the uprightness of my heart, and my lips shall utter knowledge clearly. Carries the idea of my words are from the uprightness of my heart, and my lips speak knowledge sincerely. Or my words declare, words declare the uprightness of my heart, and what my lips know, they speak sincerely. How much all believers, we should be characterized. You should be a person of, of integrity. A person, if you say it, should be, well, I can take that to the bank. We, we, it's true. So despite his youth, he's confident that his words have value because he is, he, like the elders, of the creature of God. Verse 33, 4. The Spirit of God hath made me, and the breath of the Almighty hath given me life. So the long intermediary that Job belonged for, we're going to find, find this in Elihu. Behold, verse 6. I am according to thy wish, and God said, I also am formed out of clay. His strategy was simple. Instead, it's a revolutionary thought to the three previous friends, Eliphaz, Bildad, and, and Zophar. He wants to not just ignore his word. He wants to actually interact with what Job actually says. And so that's all the introduction, much shorter of the last three. Allegation, starting in 33, about verse 8, allegation. So Job claims to be a victim of unjustifiable affliction from God. That's the allegation. Verse 8, 9, 10, and 11 of 33 says for us here, 33, 8, Surely thou hast spoken in mine hearing, and I heard the voice of thy words, Job, saying, I am clean without intercession. In transgression, I'm sorry. I am innocent, neither is there iniquity in me. Which is true. Matter of fact, God had said of him in chapter 1, he was righteous. I, 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 and behold, he findeth occasions against me. He counteth me for his enemy. He putteth my feet in the stocks. He marketh all my paths. So Job claims to be a victim of unjustifiable affliction. Now remember, Job has not seen the end. He's not seen chapter 1 and chapter 2 where Satan meets with, with God, etc. And, and there's this, con, I won't say this, but there's this thing going on. Job's going to deny it. He won't do it. Take him. Take everything but his life. He's not seen that. Now, Elihu rarely quotes Job verbatim. Rather, he cites the gist or summarizes the implication of Job's words, which is what he did in chapter 33 here, 8 through 11. Commentator Anderson says, Since Job never protests the inaccuracy or even the most damaging citations of his words, it seems apparent that Elihu's citations are accurate representation of Job's words, and in some cases, of the logical implication of the words. Now, we have learned already that Job will respond. We have just seen speech and response, speech, response, speech, respond over and over and over again. So Job, even with sarcasm, and I guess wisdom is going to die with you all, he, he's going to respond. He does not respond here. Elihu really exposes an incongruity, a clash between Job's position that he's claimed in spite of his innocence. There's a clash here. God has inexplicably found him. One man interprets verse 10 as, Behold, he invents pretext against me. 
For all of Job's declarations of innocence, Elihu rebuts them on the case of this point that at least we find that, that at least those things are not righteous. What you're saying there, Job, is just not right. Just not right. So that is the allegation, the introduction. Thirdly, is the rebuttal, starting in verse 12. God is sovereign and unaccountable to you. I would say that to us today. God is sovereign. He is in control. He, his ways do not match our ways. Why are you doing that? Why are you doing this? Why did pastor not run his mower over his leaves on Friday when he had un, unusually had a Friday off? Mm, I figured there's a whole lot more to drop. So that's why I didn't, because I got a lot more leaves yet to come down. And I've got so many leaves already. Oh, it's all right. You know, it's gonna, they're going to be there. You know what? Uh, I can give you this assurance there's no one else in the world that will do the leaves in my yard but me. So I don't have to worry about, you know, somebody else taking it over. Somebody taking over my job. Nobody wants that job. And, but never, no one else will do it. Or it's not anybody else's responsibility to do it but me. I wish we could, like, harness cats and let them pull something around, like, the moment, like up and back and forth and whip them into shape. And, there's something useful from those things, you know, something useful. I don't know. That never happens. Like trying to herd cats is impossible. The rebuttal begins with the truth of that God is indisputable sovereign. I, I believe that. Now, indisputably sovereign means he is in control, and he could even take people and decisions they make, and still he's in control of those things. I do not believe that he has to be, and every person's individual, every decision has to be given to him by God, and God has to... Con- con- He's sovereign over things without having to do that. Like every single moment of every single person's decision was dictated by God. If you, if you go that far, then every single heinous act, but every single unbeliever is still dictated by God. As God's, you see, it's 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 a diff, it's going to get your mind going. I think God can be sovereign. I really believe this from Scripture. He can be sovereign without having to dictate, having to do every single movement of every single person who ever single lived. He knows, and he can take our decisions and still be sovereign. Over all. He knows what we're going to do. And I, I don't see, I know people are going to say, well, there's a, I, don't, I can't understand everything about God, but I still can believe that you can choose, and I can choose, and he is still sovereign. He gives us that, that choice. Choice began in the Garden of Eden in chapter 3. We still have the choice today. You can either serve him. Does he know? Yes. He knows what you're going to do tomorrow. He knows, he, there was, uh, he knows about all these different things. He does. And yet he's still sovereign. 32, 12. Behold, in this thou art not just. I will answer thee that God is greater than man. Yes. Why dost thou strive against him? For he giveth not account of any of his matters. We, he does not owe us a uh, uh, diddly squat. And, and, and what's he doing? He doesn't have to tell us. He does. He does not even, I'll say it's great. He does not owe us salvation. He gave it to us by his free gift. We chose as humankind to re- sin. He's graciously provided a Redeemer, a person of Christ. He's done that for us. I like what D.A. Carson says. By this, Elihu does not mean to say that greatness provides an excuse for wrongdoing. Like, you know, like might makes right kind of thing. 
but that God, makes well, God may well have some purposes and perspectives in mind of which Job knows nothing. However much Job insists he is innocent, he must therefore put a guard on his tongue and refrain from making God guilty. Why is God doing that? I don't under, I have all the answers. I was telling the gentleman yesterday uh, in Columbus as we were talking with him, I said, you know, I said I would come and I would buy a car from you every day if it meant I could share the gospel with you. I said, if it means for me, I said, to share the gospel with you, Matt, maybe this, you know, how important it is if it meant coming to buy a car from you every day, if I could. That's how important the gospel is that you need to hear it. And I think that's one statement that took him off. Wow, wow, it's that important. I said, yes. I don't remember the exact words, but I, I saw in his eyes that, wow, that you would, yes, that's how important. If for no other reason, you may be one, the one person that you, there's one person that you can reach that only you can reach. Reach that person. Ask God to show you who it is. You have a relationship with him that I will never have. And anybody else will ever have. Share the gospel. Your children, your grandparents, your, your neighbors, your co-workers. That, that's, that's why we're here. That's why we're here. Some people are going to win hundreds and hundreds to Christ, and some are going to win one or two. Now, doesn't mean we give up. Doesn't mean we're not supposed to win a lot. We keep trying, endeavoring, but there's... Why are we... The person that led... Uh, was it the shoe salesman that led... Uh, was Adoniram Judson or some... Uh, Billy Sunday or something? The Lord... What amazing thing it was. It was a devotion this morning about a guy who was a gas pump guy. You read the devotion this morning? And he would talk about... He won dozens and dozens to the Lord because... And people would line up because he gave them a positive comment and shared the gospel with them. At, when they, remember how they used to pump gas? Anybody remember how they used to pump gas? Yes. As he pumped gas... You bloom where you're planted. Let's continue on in my time frame. I see my time's running out quickly. Uh, Elihu then interprets these words, uh, 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 striving. The contextual indicator, this is the first contextual indicator that Elihu's reading of Job's problem is, we would call it today, spot on in some regards. 33, 13. Why dost thou strive against him? For he giveth not account of any of his matters. Elihu interprets the Job's words as striving, contending, accusing, quarreling his idea with God. God also is going to rebuke him in 40 verse 2. Hold your finger, 40 verse 2. It says, Shall he that contendeth with the Almighty instruct him? He that reproveth God, let him answer. I'll tell you what, there should not be a human being in the world. It should be always. To the handle of our mouth, we should be Isaiah chapter 6. Woe is me. I'm a man undone. I think Job, Job is like, whoa. I would, it, can you imagine that? I've not even met God in that regard yet, but I can just tell you, I know from what I've read in Scripture, I'm on my face in front of God. I'm, a, I'm on my knees. I am bowed. What is true worship before God Almighty? Why are you contending? So I'm telling you, Zophar is more than a bag of wind. Or somebody, no, he's not his bag of wind. Elihu is more than a bag of wind. He is. 
Shall he that contendeth the Almighty instruct him? He that reproveth God, let him answer him. 40 verse 2, Elihu is the first person in the book to diagnose Job's indiscretion in those exact terms, those approximate terms. The only other one that says that about Job is God. So if Job, if, if God and Elihu agree together, so if Elihu's wrong, God's wrong. God's not wrong. So Elihu has to be right. Correct? Yes. We find a little glimpse of, of God's revelation to us, self-revelation, before the Bible times. Remarkable. Where did these men learn their theological understanding of God? Oh, they went back to the... Uh, where'd they go? Like the oldest book in the Bible, Job. God had revealed himself to them in some capacity. I'm guessing word of mouth. I believe that was how the Jews taught their children lots of times, word of mouth training. I believe the boys had to learn the entire Pentateuch. I think the law as a, as a boy uh, and be able to memorize the entire book, five, verse 5 books of the Bible. But these, did not, these gentlemen did not have that in, in the same capacity. We have the privilege. They did not have that. So how did he speak? Verse 15, in a dream, in a vision of the night, when deep sleep falleth upon man and slumberings upon the bed, then he openeth the ears of man and sealeth their instruction. Adam Clark sees a little bit of a difference between a dream and a vision. A vision, he says, is in the imagination during slumber, when men are betwixt sleeping and waking. Now, there's not a lot of time between, usually between me, between sleeping and waking. It's usually, I'm hoping, like, throw like that. Not quite that fast, but that's my idea. It's like when they're awake in bed, he says, they were wrapped in deep contemplation, and the darkness of the night have shut out all objects. So then God speaks to them. Have you ever not started meditating upon God's word and thinking about the passage you're going to preach on? Perhaps you're not preaching, but the idea, wow, God can, the Holy Spirit can jog you. I never saw that before. And that, wow, I think that might hit right here. It's like demon possession. If, if Christians can be demon possessed, what happens at the rapture? I mean, are the demon going to heaven? Are they going to be exercised? Or, and that's not maybe a good example, but that's what I've been... That was from Wednesday night. There, there's a means God used to dissuade men from evil to protect them from judgment. God uses dreams. Can you think of dreams in the Bible at all when God spoke through dreams? I've got Abraham, I've got Jacob, I've got Joseph, I've got Abimelech, I've got Pharaoh, I've got Solomon, New Testament, I've got Joseph, the wise man, I've got Peter. God spoke through dreams. There are five dreams in the first two chapters of Matthew. God spoke in dreams. Why does he do it today? We've got it. It's right here. I'm not saying God can't. But divine revelation is over. If a pastor gets up and says, you know, God spoke to me and he told me to tell you this and it's on the same par with God's word, don't believe it for a moment. Please don't. Now, we want the Holy Spirit to speak to us. Preacher, I, I want the Holy Spirit to use me. I do. And I want him to speak to us. But I've not had this kind of revelation. It's done. It's done. Just quit, read it for yourself. I'm a cessationist. If you haven't gathered that. 19 to 22. Cessationist means that I believe the sign gifts have stopped. They're done. They've stopped going. Let's go right on before I get off track any further. 19 of 33. 
He that chasteneth also uh, with pain upon his bed, and the multitude of his bones with strong pain, so that his life abhorreth bread, and the soul dainty meat. His flesh is consumed away that it cannot see, and his bones that were not seen stick out. Yea, his soul draweth near unto the grave, and his life to the destroyers. Now God does speak through divine revelation. God does speak in the time, Old Testament time and through dreams, but he also speaks through pain. Uh, we find in that Carson says, here is a chastening use of suffering that may be independent of some particular sin. Paul had not sinned, and yet the Lord really just pretty much crushed him in chapter 12 of 2 Corinthians. And then he was, I become weak that I may be strong. The opposite of what the world says today, we let him just break us into pieces that we might be used by him and things. You just got to let him go. guy called me yesterday and uh, said, I got one week for Minnesota fishing next summer. I want you to know, can you go with me? And I said, okay, what week is it? He goes, it's Bible school week. I said, to Stephanie, I said, I've got one week of the entire summer that I really don't want to miss and that was that week. Okay, just go on. I said, well, maybe 2025 I can go. It, it, you, you have to. What's really important? What's really important? And the scheme, I'm, not, I'm not saying I'm never going to fish. I'm just saying I need what's really important, being where God has placed me, where God has placed you. And don't get so tied down to things that we get so bent out of shape that we won't do what God has asked us to and told us to do that because I didn't get my way. What way is it you're wanting? Yours or God's? God can open doors that... He opens one... Uh, the song my wife played for me, uh, saying no is there's a better yes coming down the road or something like that. When God says no, there's a better Yes. When God says no, there's a better yes. And C.S. Lewis said regarding pain, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks to us in our consciences, and shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Pain, as some of you sitting here are experiencing, even though I'm sure. I like what Spurgeon says, the chastisement of sickness and the flagellation, now that's when they would whip their backs, the flagellation of pain whip the sinner back to him. Who alone can save him? These are the black dogs of the great shepherd wherewith he brings back wandering sheep till they come again under his crook and he leads them into green pastures. Just right from 2 Corinthians, it would fit right perfectly with this morning's Sunday school class. He, he, he sends his, the black hounds of the, of the herding, the sheep herding dogs to get us to go back to him. He throws the waves into the pond to drive us back to him so that we may... Find ourselves at his feet. And let's finish up with 23. Going forward. 23 says, If there was a messenger with him, an interpreter, one among a thousand, to show unto him his uprightness, then he is gracious unto him, and saith, Deliver him from going down to the pit. I found a ransom. I found 
a ransom. Isn't that a wonderful? I love what Spurgeon says. Uh, if you'll hold, uh, just if I can find it real quick. Observe what the text says. I have found a ransom. This ransom is an invention of divine wisdom. He says, I do not think it would ever have occurred in any mind but the mind of God to save sinners by the substitutionary sacrifice of Christ. The most astonishing novelty under heaven is the old, old story of the cross of Christ. If I had picked it, I'd have said, you know what, Mr. Mr. Jeremy Bowles, you want to be saved? I've got a 5,000-foot mountain. You climb up to that mountain, and you carry a bucket of water all the way up there and don't spill more than three drops, and you pour it out and feed my sheep up here, you go going to heaven, sir. I would have provided something, and if that doesn't work, I'll find something else, but I'll give you a job to do, and if you do that job, well, then you've earned your way to heaven. Just like, see, that's how we would have done it. You said, no, nothing man can do. It's going to take God to forgive man's sins. And so he sent his son. I wouldn't have chosen it, and you wouldn't have chosen it either. Hallelujah, I found him whom my soul has so long has craved. Jesus satisfies my longings. By his blood, I now am saved. That's it. The appeal finally is that, as we close up, 31, 33, 31 to 33, the appeal per prosecution rests from any statement from the defendant. Elihu, talking to Job, Mark well, 31, old Job. Not old, but oh, Job. Hearken unto me, hold thy peace, and I will speak. If thou hast anything to say, answer me. Speak, for I desire to justify thee. See, I see that as Elihu wants to be the justifier of Job and stand in his, I, I want to justify thee. If not, hearken unto me, hold thy peace. And I shall teach thee wisdom. Now, the, the, if you're looking at it from the negative vibe side, you're reading that, man, he's some arrogant little upstart here. He's going to teach Job wisdom. And if he's, or you're reading it from God's, has a, God has chosen him to speak here. He really wants to help Job. I want, I want to justify. I want you to see clearly. I want you to see clearly. Will you see clearly? It's noteworthy. What does Job not do here? What does he not do? He doesn't respond. It's not like, oh, mystery. You know, he's, he's silent. He's silent. Like what Talbert says. He's never been yet been at a loss for words. He has been by far the most loquacious, talkative of the company. The absurdity of an argument never failed to provoke some response, often sarcastic, from Job. If Elihu were merely trotting out old arguments in new garb, as many commentators insist, Job would have been just the one to point that out. But again, at Green's commentary, he says this, Because he is convinced of the truth of what he says, and he has therefore nothing to reply, Job yielded to his arguments and had no reply to make. He tacitly confesses the justice of all Elihu's argument. Job, you've gotten a little bit out of line here. God is just, far greater than you. He is the sovereign. So how are we going to treat people this week? I found this little quote this morning. Having spent considerable time with good people, I can understand why Jesus liked to be with tax collectors and sinners, Mark Twain once said. And Ray Steadman said, we're all molded by God, just some are a little moldier 
than others. We are not to be moldier than others. We are to show forth Christ in all his glory. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father. Don't stop there. Glorify your Father, which is in heaven. Let's pray. Lord, I am so undeserving to preach your word. I am. Lord, as you know my heart, this is one of the hardest books to preach to with practical application, and yet is the most glorious book. How little I know about who you really are. So, Lord, may we not settle for complacency. May we not settle for just average when it comes to your word. May we be students that I may know him. May that be our heart's cry. Lord, we're all so far from what we could be by your grace. May we, but not give up, but may we continue to, from glory to glory, allow you to change us into your, your image. If we will obey, in Jesus' name I pray, amen.